you know, you have to make the effort when you come from outside. Yeah. People who live in a place are busy with their lives and they're busy with the the kind of set patterns that that, that entails. They're not going to just change because you're there. You know, <laughs> they'll change, but only if you go out and meet them halfway and say, hey, I am here and this is what I'm doing. What are you all about? I think that kind of, you know, growth-orientated mindset is really important for adapting when you change countries. Welcome back to Global Citizens at Home. I'm Hannah Huber, and I'm so glad you found this podcast where I share with you the stories of internationals finding their place in the world. So today I'm chatting with my friend David Chislett, who was born in Britain, raised in South Africa, and is a resident of the Netherlands. His mantra is, nowhere and everywhere is home. He's a published author, poet, musician, artist, and entrepreneur, a true Renaissance man. Creativity is what keeps him grounded as a global citizen. I met David a couple years ago when I asked him to be a keynote speaker at the Spark conference I organized for female entrepreneurs in Amsterdam. He wowed the audience by telling us how we should use creativity as a skill and not as an art form to elevate our businesses. David's energy and enthusiasm is contagious. I knew he'd have some insightful things to say to all of us global citizens out there. Our original call that we scheduled had to be rescheduled as he got a little bit carried away painting our garden gnome in his backyard. It's been a while since you and I sat on that sunny terrace of Marcella's on the Amstelfeld, overlooking that shimmery water on the Prinzengracht pre-corona yeah. times, pre-COVID, um, enjoying our cappuccino, discussing life, our families, our entrepreneurial gigs and aspirations. Tell me, how have these past nine months been for you? Yeah, I think, like a lot of people, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, you know, most of my work is face-to-face. -face. I train, I speak in public. And, of course, that all came to a screeching halt. Right. Um, initially, I did qualify for the first support package for entrepreneurs that the Dutch government offered. But because I'm married, I didn't qualify for the second one. And, you know, there was a... So it was all right at first. I, I just focused on being a stay-at-home dad. And then suddenly, about three or four months in, I really hit a bit of a wobble. I, I Hard to quantify it exactly. I, but I just spent at least two months completely rudderless, just sort of getting through every day as it came. And, and then I just made this decision that, okay, well, there is stuff I need to do for a future that is going to be useful regardless of what that future looks like. Right. I created myself a project list and just jumped into it. Um, and since then, actually, it's been quite advantageous to me, um, the current situation, because there's been less things to distract me from doing those those projects. And what what's the project that you've created entail? What what does that look like? <laughs> well, it's quite diverse. I'm I'm editing up a collection of my poetry from I, I publish poetry on a platform called Patreon on a weekly basis. And I've been doing so for the last two and a half years. So I'm busy editing uh, a collection of the best work from that, which I intend to publish in early 2021. Oh, great. I'm also writing a book about creativity um, because that's the main thing I speak and train people on. And I'm also busy with the pre-organization of the Playful Creative Summit for 2021, which is a summit I co-founded with Alia Sandovar. And on top of that, I'm also busy putting together a digital training course on uh, writing as well as creative thinking skills. 
Wow, nice. Yeah. And, and that summit, with that is that going to be virtual or? Yeah. So the first edition took place in April of 2020, and it was it's a pre-recorded digital summit. So we started planning that in 2019, and weirdly enough, we were perfectly positioned to take advantage of the fact that suddenly many people were working from home and therefore would quite possibly have more time to interact with our summit than than not. Um, 2021, we're going to be extending it a little bit to include some live features as well. But yeah, we're sticking to the pre-recorded uh, online summit model, for, yeah, by and large. Nice. And I, I think it was on your website that I read, um, you know, as long as there's creativity, you feel at home or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like you have found comfort in that. Is that correct of me to yeah. say? Yeah, I'm... I'm the kind of person who's very focused on doing, uh, notwithstanding the fact that I think way too much. But I, I don't really look over my shoulder. I'm always concerned with the, the next thing that's coming down the track, looking ahead. So my official policy for many years has been no regrets. Um, yeah. I'd rather expend my mental nervous energy on on solving problems in front of me than worrying how about how well I may or may not have solved the problems behind me. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to live. No regrets. I like that. And seeing uh, that you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, born in the UK but raised or grew up in South Africa. Yeah. Where is And now you live in the Netherlands, um, yeah. which we'll get to a little bit more of when you came over and everything. But where is home for you? When people ask you that question, what oh, do you answer? Undoubtedly now, the Netherlands. I mean, I, I have a wife. I have two small children. We've recently moved into a, a beautiful new home in a, in a beautiful part of the Netherlands. So, you know, where, where I am is, is undoubtedly home. The answering that question only gets complicated for me when people say, well, who, who are you? You know, they're like, they hear me speak and they go, well, but you're not from the Netherlands. So what, what's that? And that's when the story gets complicated, but this is home. And so but when people ask you who you are, um, what do you answer? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got this, you know, one liner, which I now deliver. I'm like born in the UK, raised in the RSA and now living in NL. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, good. I think, I think that's something that, that global citizens do at a certain point is you have to come up with that one liner. Yeah. Ready to, ready to whip out to just explain it to people and <laughs> simplify. Definitely. And, you know, there's another concept which I recently came across that, um, which I'm, you're probably more aware of than I am, which is being a third culture kid. Right. Yeah. There's a lot you know, of good work being done on that. Um, yeah. So I'm a classic other. example of that. You know, my parents left the UK with all five of us kids when I was three and a bit years old. So I didn't grow up in my sort of you know, mother culture, as it were. I grew up in another place. And as a result, I never really felt at home there until I left that place for the first time when I was 25 and suddenly realized how South African I actually was and how very much not a Brit that I was. And I guess those experiences have combined to make me then moving to the Netherlands so much easier. I'm, I'm kind of used to being on the peripheries of mainstream culture and it doesn't really bother me. And when, what brought you to the Netherlands? Remind me. A very tall Dutch woman. Okay. You're now wife. Yes. <laughs> Current <laughs> wife. Um, and did you meet in South Africa? No, we met here. I had, I guess, in retrospect, what I call now call my midlife crisis, where I closed my business in South Africa and sold everything I I owned in order to take a sabbatical 
which was extremely undefined. When people ask me, where are you going and how long are you going for? It's like, I'm going to the UK to go and work in a pub and we'll see what happens. <laughs> could be back in six months, could be six years, could be never. Um, and uh, I'm still, it's been nearly, it'll be eight years in April 2021 that I've, uh, have since I left South Africa. Wow. And that's, I think that's where it all starts is these uncertain, uh, open-ended trips when you just don't know when you're going to come back that that leads down that path that you end up taking and I find that the most exciting part about you know where people end up and how and you having a Dutch wife does that does it make it easier to call the Netherlands home having family here undoubtedly um purely on a language level you know my wife speaks perfectly good English but we don't speak English to each other we speak Dutch and we have done um we switched to Dutch after I'd been here for six months Okay. Um, that was a conscious know, decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I see so many, you know, expats. I, I, I kind of make a distinction between internationals and expats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, a lot of expats just never learn the language because they know they're not staying. Um, and you know, as a result, you tend to live in a certain strata of the society around you. And I didn't want that. You know, as, as a white English-speaking middle-class South African. I kind of had enough of that in South Africa, you know, right. my inability to speak any of the native tongues of Africa definitely limited my access to the broader society around me. And I wasn't going to make that mistake a second time. Well, I'm glad you made the distinction, too, because also just reading up um, on articles that have been published from the Gemeente or in the Netherlands as well, you know, there is this distinction, especially, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the past at least 10 years, you know, all these international companies coming to Amsterdam, you have more and more of the so-called short stay mm. slash expats. And then you have the people that really make the decision, oh, this is home for me. I'm going to be staying. I'm in it for the long run. And that I end up, you know, staying for over a decade. And then language, I think, is just so much a part of that yeah. um, for the integration process. That kind of ties into my next question for you. Um, what ingredients are needed in order to feel like you belong somewhere, which I think language is a, a huge ingredient. What yeah. other ingredients do you think? Well, you've got to be involved in the community around you. And when you when I use words like that, that sounds really complicated. But I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if you like squash, join a squash club. You know, if you sing, join a choir. Um, if you like to run, join a running club. You know, immediately you, you start to get acquainted with people who live near you, who share uh, interests with you, who you can then begin to socialize. You know, I mean, honestly, my first step normally is to find a bar nearby and to hang out there a few nights or a few weeks in a row, uh, drinking beer and playing pool. And you will get to meet people and you'll you'll start to understand the dynamics that are going on around you. You know, you have to make the effort when you come from outside. Yeah. People who live in a place are busy with their lives and they're busy with the the kind of set patterns that that, that entails. They're not going to just change because you're there you know they'll change but only if you go out and meet them halfway and say hey i am here and this is what i'm doing what are you all about i think that kind of you know growth oriented mindset is really important for adapting when you change countries i couldn't agree more um and now we have of course a pandemic which adds that additional challenge you know if you can't go to yeah. your singing lessons or your italian lessons or anything to engage with the local community, it must be so lonely out there, I think, for global citizens living, especially if they don't have in-laws or family to lean on. But even even so, you know, it's difficult to see family now. I'm just going to 
edit this bit back in. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So time for a fun break with David. Here we go. Uh, I warned you I'm going to have a rapid-fire questionnaire based on Prowse questions that they use in Vanity Fair magazine um, and some of my own that I threw in there. So um, as we stretch our legs and roll our necks, uh, let's have you answer the following questions. Mm -hmm. Here they come. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. What do you most value in your friends? Intelligence. What is your most treasured possession? Don't have one. Not too, not too worried. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? The most overrated virtue? Yeah. Patience. Ah, okay. And what is your greatest fear? That it'll all amount to nothing. On what occasion do you lie? Uh... Well, two, I guess. One, when I've done something totally stupid and I don't really want to admit it. Or two, when I know that by not lying, I'm going to definitely cause someone unnecessary pain. Which talent would you most like to have that you don't have? To play the piano. Oh, nice one. And what's your current state of mind? Upbeat. I can't tell you why, but yeah, positive. Nice. It's because yeah. of this podcast, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Now, perfect. Well, okay. I hope everyone stretched their legs and rolled their neck because here we go with part two of the interview with David. Is there anywhere else you're going for comfort or would you have any tips in these kinds of situations? Well, I mean, I've noticed that I'm WhatsApping a hell of a lot more. Um, yeah. And, and, and not people necessarily really close by. I mean, I've, I'm suddenly in much greater contact with my wider circle of international friends in in the UK and Australia and the States uh, and across Europe that, that I have been in some time, I, I guess, because I know they share my current experience set to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've also started having actual social zoom calls. I, I have a mate who now lives out in, in Dwingelo, which is you know, in the Northern part of the Netherlands and in, in, uh, in really in the countryside. Yeah. It's and we've, yeah. It's fantastic. But I mean, really nowhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and we organize we organize online beer tastings, you know. So I find a place that's got interesting beer, and I send a package of three different kinds of beers to him, and I send exactly the same beers to me. We get hop on a Zoom call somewhere during the week, and we we taste beer and we talk rubbish and catch up. Nice, I yeah. like that idea. Yeah, and I mean, you know, kind of sad if that was your entire <laughs> social life, but <laughs> under these circumstances, it's better than nothing. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that that's. Nice for listeners to to hear as well, and just to actually get ideas of how to do that. But I think it's interesting what you said about your wider circle of friends and and looking for more contact through WhatsApp. I mean, that's pretty much all we have left. But it does. Uh, I don't know. I've noticed recently for myself reaching out to friends that I haven't spoken for even here in the Netherlands. You know, for the mm -hmm. past four or five years since we moved out to a village, lost contact with some friends in Amsterdam, and just reestablishing. Mm. Those friendships during this time um, in small pockets and getting together what's allowed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's an interesting point you made. And it was, when did you move out to the countryside? Because you were in Amsterdam for a while. I was. We, we moved house in the middle of, of, of lockdown. Um, we, we bought the house in November last year. We took possession of the house on the 1st of April. And then we had renovations for three months, and then we moved in in sometime in June. Wow. And how has that been, seeing that it's been during the lockdown? And Weird. 
awkward, um, more complicated than absolutely necessary. I'll bet. But probably maybe a blessing in disguise to have more green around you during, especially this time. As we speak, I'm looking out my window, which is in, in the attic of our house, directly at a, a, a clump of trees in a nature reserve. I can see some cows and swans. So oh. even though it's a miserable rainy day, I'm surrounded by beauty. It's, it's made a huge difference. Nice. Now I can imagine. And how old are your children? My daughter is three and a half and my son is just over one. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they yeah. can, when it's warmer weather, walk out there in bare feet and run around mm-hmm. and enjoy. Um, and what, has that done anything? Because just there's such a contrast, I think, for living in a village during these times versus in a city. Um, I mean, it comes with a lot of pros, but are there any cons that you can think of that? It's difficult to say at this moment because, yeah. you know, there is no village life right now. So, you know, the kind of negatives that as a city person probably spring to mind about moving to a small community just aren't available to be experienced right now. So it, all I'm experiencing are the benefits. You know, I've I pretty much always work for myself. I've very often worked from home alone. Yeah. So that hasn't really done my head in. What has been fantastic is now being in an incredibly beautiful environment with a lot more square meters. And because we're now in a village, everything's just so much easier to go and get and do than what I might have had to have done um, in a busy part of Amsterdam. Right. What, and has did the pandemic affect your decision to move to countryside or that was that was already in the works because you said November? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, um, no, no impact at all. It was already, it was the children influenced rather than pandemic. Right. And how has your uh, contact been with your own family members during this pandemic? You're, mm. I'm guessing, not allowed to go officially to, well, we're depending where they are right now, South Africa yeah. or the UK. So my immediate family is largely in South Africa. Um, I do believe you can now fly, but I mean, there's quarantines and cost factors um, look, it's been really difficult. My mother is elderly and she is, well, you know, on her last legs and we just can't go. She's never met my son. I don't know if she's ever going to. Oh. So that's been pretty tricky. Um, so the combination of, well, yeah, that situation has led me to being in far greater contact with my two brothers and sister who are still in Johannesburg and who are managing this situation on a day-by-day basis. So we've got an app group and we're chatting and we're all ridiculously thoroughgoing individualists. The notion of a family app group up until (laughs) this point was anathema. Um, And now suddenly it's actually, you know, fairly jovial. You know, the odd picture of a sunset or a bottle of wine comes past, which is, you know, quite unusual for us. So it's cool. I'm liking it. Nice. Yeah, that's, it's funny what you said with the, what it brings things that are in your control and what's out of your control. And uh, that I just find so fascinating. I have similar experience with siblings, never really in touch much before, but now because of this uh, also Mm. created an app group and it's definitely brings you closer, I think in that sense, which is nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, busyness has gotten in, in, in the way of priorities to such an extent, you know, when you're really busy, it's like stuff that actually means quite a lot of, to you can can all too easily be shunted aside and look i know people are still really busy with their jobs but like socially we are a lot less busy right now than than well probably ever in my entire adult life 
And I think that's what's led to this kind of level of reconnecting with key individuals from my past. And I think that's happening to a lot of people. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you said that. And that was actually something I wanted to know what, what the pandemic has brought you. So it sounds like it, it brought you this reconnecting, reconnectivity, mm-hmm. and um, to have more time to do that. What Has it brought you anything else in that sense? Focusing on the silver linings, which we did in episode one. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's giving me it's giving me time to settle into my new environment and feel like it's home before having to deal with its broader implications. So I guess that's actually pretty cool. Most of the time, you don't have that; you have to deal with everything all at once. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we're going to look for silver linings, I guess I can put that up. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I've got. <laughs> no, that's no, that's good. You've given us actually a lot of nice sprinkles throughout. Um, but I, I thought that was an interesting point at the beginning of the of our conversation with, you know, there's the whole home aspect of where you're actually from, but there's also the who and there's where does belonging fit into that on, on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all the global citizens listening out there trying to find their place in the world, um, whether that be because they are a short stay expat or more focusing on the internationals that are settling in a place, but, you know, can't make it back to introduce their children to the grandparents or mm. uh, trying to carve out a home for themselves. What advice do you have for them? Wow. Well, I, I don't know if, I'd, <laughs> if I'm bold enough to couch this advice, but I'll tell you what I do is that, you know, I don't really worry too much about belonging um, I never felt like I particularly belonged anywhere. What has always kept me on point and happy and focused is purpose, is being engaged with things that have real meaning. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that approach is that when you are engaged with things that have real meaning, that are purposeful in your life, you inevitably end up being the most authentic expression of yourself that there is, which leads people to see the real you and acts as like a kind of like a BS filter. So the connections you make as a result of that purpose oriented life tend to be a lot more authentic and a lot more valuable, which creates an inner circle for you, you know, kind of by default. So it's not that one has to try and belong. It's that one needs to try and be, and that in itself results in a form of belonging. Wow. I love <laughs> I love what you just said. I love the BS filter. And I think a lot of people listening right now are shaking their heads and in all and hopefully taking notes. Um, that's profound. Thank you for sharing. Well, notice I did say try. I don't always succeed. <laughs> no, but that's I think that's just that's that says it all right there and it helps me in my quest with this project also to to find you know where the belonging fits in in this whole story about home and finding place in the world so that's uh that's a great place i think um to end our conversation on that that's i can't even think of a better closing (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we'll be seeing you in person in 2021 Mm. as well on stages across the netherlands and beyond absolutely so thank you for taking time to talk to us today It's been a pleasure. That concludes episode number three. Join me in 2021 for more insightful interviews with global citizens finding their place in the world. Our next guest is a former student of mine, Kate Berger. 
I used to run a study abroad program in Amsterdam for U.S. college students. Kate stuck around in the Netherlands, got her master's at Leiden in child and adolescent psychology. She's now the founder of the Expat Kids Club. I'm curious to hear about the work she's done with third culture kids. You may remember David mentioning this during our interview. In the meantime, wishing you all a warm and healthy holiday season. It's been one heck of a year. Hope you're able to reflect on the silver linings 2020 has brought. Thanks for listening. This is Hannah Huber signing off for 2020. See you next year.